today on Laura Lynn and Friends. And what the larger studies that, that are looking at this find is that it just doesn't make people less prejudiced. Uh, it doesn't do anything good, but it can do harm. It can actually increase prejudice. Well, it's gonna be a fascinating discussion today because maybe you've noticed that a whole bunch of places in the United States of America are letting their DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I guess, I don't know. Uh, they're letting uh, you know their, their managers go. Apparently they don't really need that anymore. And apparently this whole idea that we have to look at each other's skin color and not judge each other by our character, apparently that's actually not working out so good for everybody, all right? So we're gonna talk about that and an incredible person, a friend, I like to call him uh, Dr. David Haskell, Professor Haskell will be here. Uh, I did an interview earlier with him, we're gonna throw to that. And um, I wanted to read to you from my incredible, wonderful father's uh, Bible. And I opened it up to Exodus 33 and verse 17 and 18 um, and 19, I think. All right. Um, and the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. <laughs> Isn't that a great verse? Do you know, if God knows Moses by name, then he knows you by name, and he knows me by name. And I want to live in this way where... God says these words to me. Do you ever look at what, what, how God treated someone like he loved David? He forgave David. David sinned with Bathsheba. David killed many people. To the point where God said, you can't build my temple. I'm going to get your son Solomon because Solomon was a cushy young man and, uh, you know, didn't have like all the death and killing that his dad had done. And he said, Solomon's going to build my temple. But you, David, you are a man after my own heart. And so God loved Moses, God loved David, he loved Jacob, he loved these incredible, you know, Joseph people, people in the scriptures. And he says, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I think that that is what uh, Moses said. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I love that. I just thank my dad for underlining some scriptures that all these years later mean so very, very much to me. All right, before we get to my interview that we have already done, we're going to throw to it because Dr. David Haskell is being interviewed by everybody who wants to know what's in the know about his uh, findings in his paper on diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Let's go to Fulton County hearing. It happened this morning on misconduct allegations against Trump prosecutor Fannie Willis. Now, should I just set up a little bit about this story first? Yeah. So Fannie Willis is going after Trump like nobody's business. I mean, she does not like the man, okay? Some of you out there don't like Trump. She doesn't like him even more than you. And she is using all her time, her position, her funds, and all of that to go after Trump. Problem is, so in her journeys, she hires this dude and come to find out she's uh, in a relationship with him. And I think that was only found out because of 
his divorce papers, if I'm not mistaken, that showed uh, her to be the reason that the, the marriage was breaking up. And that's in divorce papers. So that all comes out. So Fanny hires Mr. Boyfriend and it it ends up that he's being paid an extraordinary, unbelievable amount of money. And uh, on all this money that they're making, they're doing vacations and going to places. So now she's been held to account and she has to answer for it. So let's take a look at this little, uh, this hearing that was going on for misconduct. Take a look. Um, did you tell anyone at Fulton County Board of County Commissioners about your relationship with Mr. Wade? No. Did you disclose your relationship to anybody at Fulton County? No, I don't think so. Um, and as the chief law enforcement officer of Fulton County, I assume that you're familiar with the county code and warden ordinances? I've said we're not going to cover that in this hearing, Ms. Merchant. Um, I'm sorry, Judge? We, I th we said we weren't going to cover the uh, county regulations. Okay, and I, I, I won't. Um, let me ask you this then. So are you aware that you're required to disclose any relationship with someone that you contract with in Fulton County? I'm going to Would this be different because it's a potential for impeachment? Yes. What did you ask me? <laughs> potential for impeachment. Don't ask. Ms. Merchant, if you could re-ask the question. Okay. Um, <coughs> are you aware that Fulton County requires you to disclose any relationship with someone that you're doing business with? I'm not aware, and I'm, I know often that time things are confused with state constitutional officers and county, but I'm not aware. Okay, so it's not your, so it's your understanding that you don't have a duty to disclose the relationship. She's answered that question. Let's keep going. Um, did you keep track of this cash that you paid him at all? What are you talking, I don't understand. Did you keep track? Did you keep a ledger? Did you keep track of it? So I've only given him cash, as I mentioned, three or four times. There's no ledger. This is friends handing money off to each other. So the answer is no. I, you think, didn't I think you've already asked whether there was any written proof whatsoever. And she's yes. answered that. Okay. So we've covered this. Let's move on. Um, What's with the judge, eh? He's kind of testy. He's all over this. What's his issue? Who are you referring to when you suggested that Mr. Roman's motion to disqualify was racially motivated? We already said we're not talking about the forensic misconduct that's been alleged. Okay. And, okay. and just so the record is clear, I don't believe I said that his motion was racially motivated, so I don't want that to stay there. I've never said his motion was racially motivated, so that, uh, that should not be close. true. I think it would be that. best if we don't need to go down that road. Uh, we're going to save that for argument. Um, you once said that you would not engage with a personal relationship with anyone that worked for Fulton County. Is that correct? Uh, an employee? Anyone that worked for Fulton County. I think I said an employee. Okay. So that's the qualification you give an employee? You would not I think that's the statement that I made. So if you want to quote me, quote me accurately. So it's your position because Mr. Wade was not an employee? Or it's your position he wasn't an employee, correct? Mr. Wade is not an employee, and he will tell you that over and over again. I'm sorry, this statement, just so I make sure I accurately quote you. What you said was, you won't work, you won't sleep with people who work under you. Do you not consider Mr. Wade working under you? I consider Mr. Wade to be an agent. Agent? Yeah. All right. An appointee is what I really re re think of him as. Your point, whatever merit it has, uh, Ms. Merchant, is on the record. Thank you. Next question. 
<laughs> oh, oh man. Okay. I got to watch that whole thing a little bit later, right? That's how that was going down. All right. Yeah. He's not an employee. He's an agent. And yes, I've never said I won't sleep with my agents. Okay. And break up their marriages. All right. So, um, very, very fascinating. Uh, all right. We're, we're keeping an eye on it because here, here's the interesting thing is that everything that the United States has set up, all of the folks who have called and tried to get Donald Trump in trouble for something, it's like a unanimous wave of justice coming right back at them. Like Joe Biden wanted to get uh, Trump on having documents in his, in his home, and they had a big raid and all of that. Months and months later, we find out that what's really happened is that Joe Biden had all those documents. And of course, they don't want to prosecute him because he's too old and frail, basically, to stand trial. And yet, he's running the United States of America. The irony is not lost on anyone. So then they go after Donald Trump's sons. I mean, I don't know if you were following, but ruthlessly, they are subpoenaed to court and they show up. So what happens times later? And, and they're exonerated. There's, there's, no, there's nothing been found in any of the dealings with his sons. They've answered all the questions and they've, you know, sh shown up on behalf of their father and, and the nation and doing what's right. What happens later? Oh, Hunter Biden subpoenaed. Refuses to show up on what? All of this criminal activity. Millions of dollars flowed into the Biden family. How? Through connections. Through China. Through all of these different connections that Hunter Biden had. Absolutely. You know, it's just popcorn worthy is what I have to say. And I think that when the word of God says that those who, who conduct evil and slanderously attack others without cause shall fall into their own net. That's exactly what's happening. That is happening right now. All right, let's have some fun and let's go to our guest today. Let me tell you about Professor David Haskell. So he writes, um, he writes a paper earlier this week and uh, it's kind of going like gangbusters. Let me tell you who he is. He's a professor at Wilfrid Laurier University for nearly two decades. David's research has examined cultural trends. In particular, he studied the tensions between conservatives and the country's cultural elites. He has published on church growth and decline, successful strategies for youth ministry and discrimination against conservatives and Christians. In the last few years, he has used his skills as a researcher to debunk numerous false claims being made by today's progressives in the areas of DEI, instruction, critical race theory, and radical gender ideology. Please welcome Professor David Haskell. Professor David Haskell, thank you for being with us. Uh, it's good to see you again. Um, we've had you on the show before. And uh, something that you've just written is making a little bit of waves. Uh, you released a paper on Tuesday, and you're doing nothing but interviews, and everyone's talking about it. So what, what were your findings in this paper? Well, it, it's uh, really a, a research report, Laura Lynn, that I take everybody else's findings, and then I just show them to the public. And what's interesting is these things 
have been known for quite some time and, and there have been meta-analyses done, but the findings have been suppressed or ignored. And so what I've done is I've taken those findings and I've said, we need to pay attention to this. And in fact, here's the, here's the main finding. We now know that diversity, equity, and inclusion, that kind of instruction that's ubiquitous across our education system, our businesses, our government, it just, it's not empirically valid. It, it doesn't work. Not only that, um, what I was able to show through the examination of the existing research is that not only does it not do good, it can do harm. Right. You know, um, I began to get a feeling about something like this when Obama himself was constantly talking about race. And it seemed like there was an increase in racism that went on during the Obama years. Is, is that the, a kind of thing that uh, you're looking at? Yeah, yeah, you're actually, you're right on point. I mean, what you felt in your gut was what the empirical evidence was picking up. So what we know for sure is that the, the kind of attitudes that we would consider racist, where, where one group considers themselves superior to another, those kind of attitudes were actually decreasing from about the 1960s onward. And even into the middle of the 2000s, 2010, 2016, uh, things kept getting better and better in terms of racial acceptance between groups. But then around the time of Obama, and really it, it just hit fever pitch around 2020 with the George Floyd riots, we saw the introduction of this new kind of philosophy, this DEI philosophy that begins to talk about oppressor and oppressed. Uh, it, it also says that discrimination can be a good thing. These are ideas that make society worse. And we can, we can actually see how society is unraveling at this point. We were actually doing the right thing by saying, let's measure people by the content of their character, but then that all changed with DEI. Wow, and I think that that was said by someone famous who was an African-American. He said, you know, I wanna be judged by the, by the content of my character and not the color of my skin. So do you think we've actually, we've really gone backwards through what they're doing through this forced, you know, everybody has to look at, um, you know, uh, the color of people's skins and, and even LGBTQ issues. Is this all tied in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at DEI instruction, it really is of two types. So you've got the anti-racist instruction, and that's kind of a tricky name. It's called anti-racist, but at its heart, it actually is very racist. And then you've got the LGBT side of it as well, and that's a very affirming model. So you've got those two branches of DEI training. But, but what we know from all of this is that when you make something more prevalent. It's called prevalence inflation. You begin to make people think that it's a greater problem. And in DEI specifically, they really do push the notion that discrimination in the present is a good thing because it accommodates discrimination in the past. And that's just madness. That's just madness to think that discrimination today is going to ameliorate something in the past. But that's actually what they talk about in these DEI kind of trainings. Hmm. I see here um, one paragraph says, however, a rudimentary understanding of statistical analysis leads to the conclusion that it is in fact not obvious that differences in outcomes between racial and ethnic cohorts are evidence of racism. Correlation does not equal causation. In fact, in his recent reality check on systemic racism claims in Canada, the Aristotle Foundation's Matthew Lau evaluates the empirical data and comes to this conclusion. 
If the typical anti-racism activism activist in Canada today is looking for widespread institutional or systemic racism, they will not find it. Um, that, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so at that part in my research report, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm holding up one of the claims made in DEI training. And one of the claims they make is that Canada is systemically racist. And what I say, as you just read, there's lots of good evidence out there that shows, in fact, that's not the case. When you look at it empirically, when you actually study the quantitative data, you can see that skin color, ethnicity doesn't hold someone back in Canada. And what Matthew Lau found, and you quoted from him there, he found that in Canada, Asian Canadians actually do better in terms of educational attainment and family income than native whites. So it's, it's uh, so many different pieces come together in DEI. And what the larger studies that, that are looking at this find is that it just doesn't make people less prejudiced. Uh, it doesn't do anything good, but it can do harm. It can actually increase prejudice. So let me dig into that. What yeah. they're saying, uh, what the research shows is that when you go to this kind of DEI instruction, or if you read the DEI materials, there's a good chance that you actually activate prejudice. And so we really need to wonder, if I'm able to find this research, which, which is in top-notch journals done by people from Harvard and Princeton and Yale, if I'm able to find it and bring it to the front like this, why is it being pushed to the back? And I think that one of the explanations is there's a lot of, a lot of money to be made here. And they don't want the results of these studies to be known. They don't want the results to be known because it would really tap into their bank account. And how, where, where is the money? Is it because the governments are funding this, the, the different powers uh, that they want this and they'll fund organizations to implement this? So there are so many different pots of money that we could look at and so many explanations. I'll try to break it down with a few examples. If you were a DEI consultant here in Ontario, where I am, uh, and this is a true to life example, there was a DEI consultant here in Ontario who was hired by the Toronto District School Board. Now remember, Toronto District School Board has its own DEI office. They could have done their own training, not that it would have been effective, but they could have done their own. Instead, they hired this outside contractor. They paid this woman four, no, $60,000 for four sessions over four days done by Zoom. I don't know any other business, like not a lawyer, not a surgeon that can make that kind of money. Wow. So there's that kind of financial imperative. But but yeah, you also have to look at why might the businesses be pushing this? Well, businesses might wanna be pushing this because it diverts from any kind of collusion or corruption that they are engaged in. You look at grocery stores that are colluding on the price of bread. We saw that. You look at bank fees for your Interact. You look at the, the gouging that's done by cell phone companies. You know how you get people not to pay attention to that? You hold up DEI. You say, look at how virtuous we are. Look at how much money we're spending here. Now, from government's perspective, you want to promote DEI because you can then cater to special interest groups. It's a way to buy votes. So when, when we talk about the finance, the finance is, is multi-layered and pretty nuanced. So is this why we're seeing articles like this uh, all over the place, how corporate America is slashing DEI workers amid backlash to diversity programs? And I hope that that is also carrying 
uh, out in Canada as well. Are we going to see these kind of positions uh, are, are going to kind of be going going the way of the, you know, the, the trash disposal, perhaps, because it's not working and it's causing harm? Well, we've got some problems here in Canada. And, and one of the problems is we don't have many politicians with spines. And in the United States, we have we have politicians who have the courage of their convictions. Uh, they also are willing to listen to evidence. But here in Canada, most conservative politicians really govern by the polls. And, and people tend not to know these things. They don't know that DEI is based on a house of cards. They don't know that DEI is not empirically valid. They only hear what the mainstream media is telling. They only hear what the government is pushing. And so the conservative politicians, they don't, they don't want to be the ones who spoil the party. And so as a result, I think that we have a, a steeper hill here in Canada to climb because we just have politicians who aren't willing to do the heavy lifting. Wow. And, and that is sad, actually, because then we're kind of always running behind. And uh, when, when I look at this, I, I just, you know, pulled up diversity and inclusivity jobs like on LinkedIn, where people go, you know, to see what's going on. And it has like thousands and thousands of, of listings, basically, of, uh, you know, people that they want to implement to because this is such a politically correct thing, isn't it? Like it's um, it's almost as if uh that every company feels, well, you're sort of in if you have one of these people. And yet what you're finding is, is that this is harmful and in fact promoting racism. If we're going to start looking at everyone like, oh, so-and-so just got hired because they're black or they're Asian or they're, you know, Indian, then, then we're going we're gonna to have a problem with that because people might feel that that's not fair. And in, in actual fact, um, some people are now beginning to think that, you know, it might be the, the white male that's actually being discriminated against. Well, it, you, you've hit on, you know, several topics there that really show the problem of putting immutable characteristics as the sole criteria for advancement. And it, it is not exclusively a Caucasian thing where there's, there's a concern. I mean, Asian Canadians, uh, Asian Americans have felt the bite of DEI themselves. Uh, for example, you may remember that just in the last year, the elite universities in the United States at places like Harvard, uh, North Carolina, they were actually excluding Asian students because, or I'm sorry, in the name of diversity. So as it stood, there were Asian students who work super hard and they are diligent and they were coming in with near perfect test scores. But these elite universities in the US were saying, there, there are too many Asians applying. That's not what we want. They have this mythical idea of what the right amount of diversity is or the right kind of diversity is, which again, flies in the face of just the idea of seeing people as individuals, as humans. So there was a court case in the United States. It went to the Supreme Court and the Asian Americans who were bringing this case forward, they won. The judges said, you know what? These universities are discriminating against you based on race. Unfortunately, in Canada, we don't have that kind of system. In fact, in Canada, under our constitution, it is actually legal to discriminate against the majority population. In Ontario as well, they've said that it is legal to, or I'm sorry, that uh, someone who's Caucasian cannot claim discrimination. 
Really? So as long as you're the majority. So um, if that's true, what happens? Uh, I, I've seen some writings recently stating that, you know, if we look ahead to 2050, uh, there might be a lot more brown people in Canada than white people. And for my, I actually don't care at all about uh, skin color. This is not my concern at all. They're making I think this, under right? The skin, under the yeah. skin people are, <laughs> I want to know who you are. I want to know what you're like. Yeah. Uh, I'm more concerned Beautiful. about your character, your ideas, your attitudes, and your ethics. That's what's important to me. And I think that we had a really great system prior to the advent of the DEI industry. And the really great system from the, about the 1960s into the 2000s was, let's just judge people according to their merit, competency, and character. And when we did that, when we did that, we saw racial attitudes go down, we saw acceptance go up. So it was working. So we need to return to that very basic model. Right. Now, before we let you go, we've got just a few minutes uh, more. I, I'm hearing what you're saying. And uh, in, in part of your, um, your writing, you say operating under the assumption that society is overrun with intolerance. That's how this has all come in operating under the assumption that we're overrun with intolerance. And yet that is not true at all. In fact, myself as a Canadian, I've been very offended to be called racist so many times, even as I'm surrounded by my Chinese friends, my Indo-Canadian friends, I have Muslim friends, and there is not an assumption of racism here in Canada. So this this does lead to believe that if you're going to start with that assumption, this is where it all goes wrong from there. And again, this is really, you've encapsulated one of the, the key characteristics of DEI. It is not based on evidence. Its claims aren't based on evidence. Its practices aren't based on evidence. And that's what the report that I did for the Aristotle Foundation for Public Policy brings out. It, it shows that there just is no proof that DEI changes attitudes for the better and it can cause racism. And the claims that they made dur make during these sessions, like that, that Canada is awash in racism, there's no justification for that. Notions about implicit bias, they say that people can be subconsciously, unconsciously biased. Again, the evidence for that is zero. Th they make all of these claims about their concepts, white privilege, implicit bias, systemic racism, which they don't have evidence for, and then they, they make these other claims about once you've been exposed to it, you'll be a better person. And none of it is valid in terms of the empirical evidence. You know, personally speaking, um, there was a young lady furious. Uh, we were at a, you know, an event downtown Vancouver and they were all yelling at us that we were racist. And it was funny because it was actually against the sexual orientation and gender teaching that was going on. So they were yelling at us that was racist, which didn't make sense to me. But I said, I'm not racist. I was born in um, I was born in Africa and I'm really African Canadian. And she didn't like it at all. She says white people right. can't be racist. And she was she was so upset. She started crying, screaming. White people can't uh, no white people can't claim racism or something like that. Like right. we can't even say that you, you can't be racist to white people is what she was trying to say. And I'm right. like, but yeah. you are being, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and again, that really generates from DEI itself because right. DEI wants to dehumanize. It'll dehumanize some, 
and typically it's the majority population, and it will elevate others. And that is just so toxic. There's, there's a really bright guy at uh, Princeton University. His name is Russell Neely, and he's studied not DEI specifically, but really this notion that you can discriminate your way toward flourishing, which you can't. And so in his studies, and he's looked at historical data, he's looked at empirical data, sociological, economic data. What he shows is this. There's, there's this idea of uh, the reciprocity principle. And the reciprocity principle came into fashion in the West, largely due to the Christian faith. It said, I'm going to treat other people like I want to be treated. I'm not going to let my tribe get ahead just because they're my tribe. Instead, we're going to have this fairly neutral measure. It's going to be competency and merit. And when you do that, the reciprocity principle says, okay, I'm not letting my tribe get ahead. You don't let your tribe get ahead. We'll base it on this neutral criteria of competency and merit. When that happens, you can have flourishing. But Neely goes on to say, the extent to which you reject this reciprocity principle, the, the, the extent to which you begin to say dis discrimination is a good thing, that is at your peril and society will start to unravel. Wow. All right. Well, as we let you go, is the best place to um, to, to get your your article is at uh, where where we've outlined that it came out here on um, the I think it's yeah, Aristotle, Aristotle Foundation. Foundation. Yeah. Okay, that is the best place. And if people want to follow you, are you on Twitter? Yes, uh, D Millard Haskell. So at D Millard Haskell on X, uh, formerly Twitter. Yes, formerly Twitter. It's all confusing. Um, we will uh, we'll put that in the description. Thank you very much for your time. I know you have another interview to get to. We so appreciate it. Good work. Keep on standing for Canada. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Laurelyn. I appreciate it, it. It really is. God bless. Take care. Thank you. Take care. All right. And we're back into real time. And I fixed my hair in between then and now. <laughs> it's a bit different. All right. Probably none of you guys noticed that, but girls will notice. Look, her hair is totally different. She like, you know, spruced it up a little. Uh, so how corporate America is slashing DEI workers amid backlash to diversity programs? You know, I, I kind of put this in, uh, you know, when I was talking to him. And one of the things this article is saying is uh, they speak to somebody who was hired as a DEI manager for an organization. And this person is saying they're just finding it really hard to find work. Like, <laughs> you know, the, there's not enough to do, basically, in all of this. And uh, you can see that what's happening is that... Um, you know, people are screaming and shouting that there's not equity when in actual fact, you know, um, uh, I just don't go with the premise that uh, folks are are racist and that we're not loving just because we don't agree with things like gender, um, gender ideology, uh, just because I don't agree with somebody on their perspective on all of that doesn't make me... Um, it's not racist, but uh, against them, right? Like uh, against them having their own views on things, but it's just that we have our own views on things. And we can see that DeSantis defunds DEI. Uh, this is what's going on across everywhere because really the outcomes from all of it, um, you know, is ending up that people are noticing race more and all of it has been sort of a, a downward spiral. So. It's interesting that now this is getting more seen in Canada. And I, 
I'll be very fascinated to kind of watch as Professor Haskell has put forward this paper and basically bringing about the same conclusions that many, you know, conservatives in the United States have found. Uh, what will that do to Canada and how will it change things? Be It's going to be fun to watch. So there's a CPC MP explaining that provinces want an indeterminate pause on new made regulations. Take a look. Mr. Speaker, the provinces and territories did not ask for a three-year uh, pause. They asked for an indeterminate pause because they're not ready. Industry is not ready. The healthcare professionals cannot come to uh, any conclusions. As a matter of fact, Dr. Gain, professor of psychiatry at U of T, summed it up at best at the committee last night. Said there is no evidence that shows we can predict irremediability in mental illness, and it is vastly different, vastly different from other medical conditions and neurodegenerative diseases. It is about us predicting who will never get better, and we can't do that. And if we can't do that with mental illness, we would be providing death under false pretenses. He equated it to much like flipping a coin to choose who could get better and who couldn't, and made would simply be, be killing people that could possibly get better. What would my honorable colleague say that? Oh, that is exactly right. You know, they're going to enable mentally ill people to just choose to end their lives. They're, they're going to make it easy for teenagers, for young people. This is what they want. And I think that uh, this might be the reason. There's a CBC article on MADE, $136.8 million in savings represents 0.045% uh, of healthcare budget nationwide. So, so basically, are they saying that this will help us? This will give us better, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that helps me to explain it. I guess so. Yeah. Do you think you're getting a deal? Um, you're, saving. you're saving all of this money. Basically, oh, all of our tax dollars don't. But the budget's $300 billion. Yeah. You're saving 0.04%. Mm. So how can we be about the money if you're only saving Right. So medically assisted deaths could save millions in healthcare spending, is what they're saying. Uh, can you are are you able to push that up a little bit there or no? So okay. So basically, it's about money, and it's pretty sick. It's like it's we're no gonna. Money. It's no money. That's the oh, point. because the point is, it would be zero point four five percent savings. Sorry, we're just figuring this out as we go. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So really what you're saving is uh, 0.045% and like, what is that actual savings? So it's stupid. It's, but it is, isn't it terrible to say medically assisted deaths could save millions in healthcare spending? I get, I get it. You're not saving, but isn't that a terrible way to put something? Listen, if we kill all these people, Right? We're going to be saving money. Is, isn't that what that title there kind of denotes? We're not even saving money, so it's really not about the money. It's about killing. Right. When it isn't truly about money is JT's point. When it's not actually about money because the savings would be 0.045% of healthcare budget nationwide if you kill all these people. Yeah. 
So if, if you're not really saving, then what is it really about if it's not actually about the money? Because the money doesn't seem to be adding up. Like, you know, there will only be a certain amount of people that will uh, kill themselves. So if it's not really about money, then it's about killing. And that's worse, right? All of it is bad. All of it. If Even if you say you want to save money, let's institute made. And we'll save thousands of dollars if we can just have a whole bunch of people kill themselves. That's terrible. But then when you find out that the savings is actually so minuscule that it's not even going to be saving money, then you go, well, why do you really want to do it then to kill people? Is that the point you were trying to make, JT? All right. I love it. Thank you for being my mentor. All right. So um, how about this video? Bombshell report out of the U.S. as reporters have found that the CIA had hired foreign actors to spy on the Trump campaign. This, this is a blossoming, all right, story. Remember when Trump got so upset, he said Obama was spying on his campaign? Okay, take a look. What they found was a broad political espionage campaign, and there were two main conclusions that are at the center of our uh, reports. One is that at least 26 Trump aides and associates were improperly and without predication placed under surveillance in the election year of 2016. And the other one is that these same folks uh, cooked the intelligence uh, for the January 6, 2017 intelligence community assessment saying that Russia uh, interfered to, I'm sorry, conducted an influence campaign to help Donald Trump. Uh, it's a WMD style story. Uh, they suppressed dissenting opinions and created a false narrative. So there's a lot of debate over this binder. Is there a binder? What's in the binder? Is it redacted? Who has it? Where is it? Is that why they conducted the raid? What's going on with these materials? Well, it's a difficult story because we, we, we heard multiple versions of what the binder is, how many binders there are. We heard there are as many as three. Um, but we do know a couple of concrete things. We know that only a share of the HIPSI investigation ever got out. Of course, people are aware of the Nunes memo, uh, which led to the investigation of abuses of FISA. Uh, we also we know that there was a report done into the origins of that intelligence community assessment, which supposedly never left a vault on the grounds of Langley. That's like a 17 to 20 page report that was confirmed by multiple sources. Uh, apart from that, we were told there are uh, numerous other investigative materials that may or may not be these binders that stories are referring to. Uh, but we know that there's a lot of stuff that didn't get out, that there was <laughs> that there were thousands of hours of investigation and their conclusions have not yet been declassified. Mm -hmm. Well, this would just be another reason why they want to do everything they can to prevent Donald Trump from returning to the White House because he'll blow the lid off of that. Yeah, yeah, he'll blow the lid off it, all right? So I'll never forget, you know, following the, you know, the 2000, um, was it 16 or the, the 2016 when, yeah. So I think it was, I think it was the, the first election cycle, because there was two that he was involved in, but it was Obama, so, so, Trump did a tweet that basically shockingly said Obama's been spying on us. And, and it was like, what is that about? And then I never really heard anything more about it. But I remember thinking they must have found something out. 
So all this time later, it's all coming out because they hid it for a long time. You know, I guess there was a lot of things going on and people just, you know, they go left and right and they, they hide. But now evidence all coming out that the CIA decided that they would put certain people, and these were people that were right tight with Mr. Trump, that they would spy on them. Thereby, when they're all together and there's things going on, they're hearing everything that's happening and they're spying. To what level did they do that? So that was discovered somehow by Trump and uh, the people that are helping him. And then he puts a tweet out and then I guess it was hard to prove and it all got, you know, swept under the rug as everything seems to be. But as time goes on, I hope this blows sky high. Uh, Matt Taibbi, I think is his name, mm -hmm. and another guy, Schellenberger, Michael Schellenberger, are the two reporters that have done excellent work going, digging down deep to get all the goods on what is going on um, with this whole cover-up. It's going to be epic. There are so many interesting things. So while this has been a year of upheaval, while this has been a season of watching evil seeming to, you know, advance and there hasn't been justice the way that there should, you know, Trump boys, uh, they go and they testify. Uh, Hunter Biden, he just says, I'm not showing up. Seems to be no consequences. However, time marches on one slow seconds drip. Every second just drips, 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 and time marches on. And eventually, truth and justice do come out. You know how I know that? Because that's been the case in my life. And that's been, that, that is what the Word of God says. That in its time and in its way, justice is the Lord's. He is the ultimate judge. And when he decides it is now time to expose, then it shall be exposed. And we're watching this. And I remember talking to you guys all through last year that it doesn't look good right now, but justice is coming. It is God's and God's alone. It is his, in his per, pervasion. No, is that a word? Purview, yes. It is in his purview to decide when justice comes out. And once again, this is going to be get the snacks ready because I think an epic season of truly bad people with bad agendas are going to be exposed. And it's going to come out publicly. And Obama will, you know, they're thinking that maybe Michelle Obama is going to step in. But but Obama himself has said that she's not. She's not going to step in to run for the presidential. I, I don't care about any of that. Do you? I feel like at this early hour, they could say anything. Oh, no, he's not. He's not. Um, uh, she's not. Sorry. Not M Michelle's a woman, of course. <laughs> not meaning to misgender her. Um, Michelle Obama is going to step in. Uh, they're going to say that she's not going to, but she can at any time. They can just make it all happen. So. We know. They're all just full of nonsense. All right. In a congressional House hearing yesterday, Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene calls for a recognition of the vaccine injured. Interesting. 
Dr. Marks, you admitted to her that uh, vaccine injuries are real, that they're real. Although you rushed through the authorization and now you've authorized that children should receive these vaccines and even babies as young as six months old. That is shameful. That's shameful. I'm not asking you a question. I will be leaving by 1.40. I'm going to continue speaking. Thank you. This is my time. The National Institute of Health uh, also saw Ms. Dressen uh, for her neurological complications that have been quite severe. They studied her, and then they dropped the study and asked her to be quiet about it. These are the real stories of va the vaccine injured. They were, they were totally, uh, completely wiped off of social media. There's been thousands of peer-reviewed medical studies thousands of them studying vaccine injuries. They are real, people are dying, people are having heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, and many other countries are dropping the COVID-19 vaccine and saying we shouldn't give them to children. It's time to be honest about the vaccine injured, and we need to stop allowing these COVID-19 vaccines to be given Gentle out ladies. to children. Good for her. I like that, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, this is happening, that the, the cover-up and all of those who covered it up are being exposed, and more and more, we're going to see justice come for those who have been injured by the vaccines. Uh, we have featured some folks on this very show that are now suing because of their injuries, and there are being monies paid out for that. It would be good, wouldn't it, if all of the billions of dollars that were raised by those who promoted the lies, the absolute lies of the vaccine safety, safe and effective, that's what we heard, safe and effective, still hearing it, Dr. Bonnie Henry, Dr. Teresa Tam, all the other Provincial health officers in other jurisdictions still basically catering into that. And none of it's true. And people like Dr. William Mackis are exposing it every single day. I do urge you to go to, yes, to do, to go to Mackis. Uh, let me just pull this up. Mackis Substack, COVID Intel. Share this. JT, I have, I have a, a share. So mRNA injury series, turbo brain cancer due to university, co university COVID-19 vaccine mandates in the United States, three tragic cases. He has the facts. He has the people. He's telling the stories. This is Dr. William Mackis. This is on his substack, mackismd.substack. He will be coming here to the Vancouver area to talk about the lies, the harms, and also a very strange thing, the cover up of pedophiles going on in the, in the medical system today. Tell me something, you all are out there, you're very logical people. If somebody has been tried and found guilty of inappropriate behavior towards a child, do you think that they should continue in any profession where they might have to encounter children? 
and that it shouldn't be noted on their file so that any employer would be able to look up their file and say, wow, this is not good. He's been tried and found guilty of being a pedophile. Shouldn't that be on someone's file? And shouldn't anyone who knows of such charges, even if it's not on the file, shouldn't anyone with common sense make sure that they never, ever, ever hire someone like that? Especially if they're going to be near kids. Well, apparently certain people in Canada do not think that that is wise. They don't think it's prudent to be cautionary and to make sure that citizens are safe in the presence of known, suspected, and or proven guilty pedophiles. What is going on? Well, Dr. William Mackis will be here to talk about all of that. And so I do urge you as... These injuries are coming out. There's another one, um, mRNA injury series. He's doing this one, Dr. Mackis, uh, nurses losing family members, having a COVID-19 mRNA vaccinated nurse in the household can be fatal for their loved one. 11 families and their losses. All of this documented, dates, times. Dr. Mackis weaves the story of what is going on in North America and the world with regard to these very harmful vaccines. All right, still images. Um, we've got a couple of pictures to show you. France moves to make criticism of mRNA vaccines a crime. Is this ridiculous? Have you seen this, everybody? Very concerning. Without much attention, a law was passed in France on Wednesday that could criminalize resistance to mRNA treatment. Anyone who advises against mRNA or other medical treatments that are obviously suitable for treatment based on the current state of medical knowledge can in future be imprisoned for up to three years or receive a fine of up to 45,000 euros, which what would that be, like 90,000 90, or... or 70,000 dollars, um, US dollars. So um, it's, it's concerning to me that that's going on. Um, France is uh, going full crazy, Phil. So no freedom of speech. Don't you dare criticize something that is obviously killing thousands and thousands. Some say many millions already having died from the effects of the vaccine. And France says, don't criticize it or you're going to face very tragic consequences. Absolutely terrible. Coming up, we have an event uh, with uh, Dr. William Mack, as I was just mentioning. And if you can get, <clears throat> you can even uh, take this off of your, um, you know, your screen there. Um, <coughs> Uh, and you can get uh, tickets to this. So the tickets are free, everybody. There's no charge for the tickets, but please, we need to know because seating is limited. So if you would like to go to this, please, would you register? Because those people, you're getting in first. And if, if you've got your ticket and you can show us that you, you, know, you signed up, then we know that you're getting in first. Um, there are 
fire restrictions and all kinds of things that can happen, you know, if it goes too big. So would you mind just doing your best? And then if you, you know, people who show up at the door without it, we'll do our best to get you in. But if we have reached our limit, then we can't. So please, please, please um, let us know that you're coming. That would be wonderful. And all proceeds of this incredible event are going to go to help uh, uh, Eli Ibera, who has been our main worship leader through everything we've been through. We did all those events. Um, he has been very sick. Uh, his wife has had to leave her job, um, you know, just taking a break from it to care for him nonstop. They have had lots of interventions, lots of things that are being done to try to help Eli. But definitely this is a literal assault from the enemy on his life. And it's been bad. It has not been good. And so we thought that it would be nice to help Eli and to raise some funds. And so uh, we're hoping that he will be there and be able to be well enough to make an appearance, to maybe sing a song. We're going to see, and we're praying for that. There's no, there's no uh, promises about it, but they're going to try, and they're really hoping to. So I've spoken with Eli. He's going to do his best to do that. Um, my website is lauralyn.tv. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for watching the show. Um, okay, one more thing, JT, I wanted to show this. If you could go to my, uh, do you see this? The feds asked financial institutions, just before we leave, sorry, very important. All in this line of diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, judging people basically by their, their beliefs. The feds have asked financial institutions, look at this, to flag Bible purchases and terms like mega, Trump, to identify extremists, says this report. Is that crazy? A shocking report from Representative Jim Jordan, chairman of the Judiciary Committee and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, indicates that federal law enforcement agencies wanted financial institutions to identify potential extremists by flagging otherwise benign purchases and search terms affiliated with former President Donald Trump in the wake of the incident at the Capitol on January 6th. And one of those things is to flag Bible purchases. Can you believe it? So, um, and there's all kinds of names in there. And, you know, if you really look into it, there's also, I, I thought I heard somebody say that, uh, okay, what was also flagged if you bought a religious text like a Bible or shopped at Base Pro Shop. What would that, ba a bass? Oh, bass, is that like like fish? Okay, <laughs> not a base. Okay, all right, all right. Well, you fishermen, you better watch out. You're being viewed as extremists. So all of it goes to, you know, it's interesting. So they're, they're really trying to say something lately that, that Christians are extremists, that Christians are dangerous. You know what? Maybe sometimes, uh, you know, um, in between having our bazaars at the church and making cookies and having Bible studies and ecclesias and worshiping God, um, somehow we're, we're deemed to, to be the, the violent ones. When it's actually, like we just saw this last weekend, underreported now that it's a transgender 
It's a, a dude, goes by many different names. Yeah, is it? We don't know. It's, it's so confusing. Um, certainly the people doing the autopsy will probably have some awareness of it. But this, this person, this guy, goes in and uh, begins trying to kill people, gets shot and killed. Now that's, that's the extremist. That's the person that needs to be dealt with. And I, you know, I think that there's lots of really good people that are atheists, lots of, you know, they wouldn't hurt a fly. Uh, but to begin categorizing, to begin to have a movement that turns against Christians, and those with religious beliefs, quite frankly, is, uh, is a concerning trend. And I think it's biblical. I think it has epic, um, epic reaches in, in fulfilling biblical prophecy that perhaps there's some kind of attack on those who love God at the, at the end of times. I don't know. But I know one thing, that I am proud and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because what Jesus tells us is to love what Jesus tells us is not to be violent. However, when it's time to stand, it's time to stand. And when we are talking about our sovereignty, you see, we don't get our freedom from the government. We get our freedom because God made us as mankind. God endowed our sovereignty to us. And that's why any foundations, even uh, Professor Haskell was talking about, those foundations of Christianity, which encourage us to love one another, not based on the color of our skin, but based on our, our personhood, the, the beauty, the, um, the, uh, the quality, the, uh, the, the genuine representation of what, of what your value is, is in that you're human. It's not in anything else. It's that you're human. It's intrinsic to the humanity that you are created in the image of God. You have value. So it's not about color. It's not about any of the differences that we like to put onto people for their beliefs even. It's that we're valuable because we're human. If we all stuck to that, if we all cared for one another, if we all lived according to biblical values, we wouldn't have such an issue, would we? My website is laurelin.tv. And I thank you very much. If you enjoy this kind of programming and if you can help us, uh, January is a lean month. Um, I think most organizations know that. Uh, we're finding January very lean. I'll just tell you that right straight up. But um, if you're able to help us, thank you very much for your investment into this ministry. We believe that God is in interentwined into culture, into the news, into the events that are taking place across the world, that all through history we can see the power of the living God, which touches mankind, which comes together and in, informs the decisions that we make and also informs the judgments that are made to those who do not honor God. So that is our belief system here. If you enjoy looking at uh, the world through this kind of lens, then would you be so kind as to go to our website and if you can, it's tough times right now, and I understand if you can. 
if you are able to help us to go to the donate button and say, I appreciate you. And you know what? If you could just sign up to be a monthly donor for as little as 20 bucks a month, that would mean the world to us. 20 bucks a month, right? So easy. You wouldn't even notice it. It's missing, but it would mean a tremendous amount to us as we have a budget and we have to have planning for how we keep on going and, and making this our, you know, our journey, because that's what it is. This is, this is the Lord sort of called us to, and, you know, put up roadblocks to having anything else going. So this is why I'm here every single day. And although sometimes I find it a little bit difficult because it's harder than different and other paths that I've been on. Although I find it difficult, I can tell you with 100% certainty that I would not change a thing and I would not want to be anywhere else but right here where every single day I can tell you the truth and no one's telling me to be quiet. I don't have to be politically correct here. And if people do not like my positions on things, they can go to a different channel. They can just choose not to watch. But when I'm here, I am giving you the absolute truth and everything that I know. So if an email is a better way for you to make a donation, Live at protonmail.com. That's a great way. Uh, Live at gmail.com also works. If you prefer e-transfers and snail mail, box 48184. Queensboro, New Westminster, B3M0A7. If you can put the word Queensboro in, you know, I think I'm getting most of my mail, but a couple things lately that was returned to sender, and so I just want to make sure. They say it's better if you put in the word Queensboro, all right? So uh, that's that in the hat. And also, uh, if you are looking to stabilize, Bitcoin is going through the roof. I was hearing from my gold and silver guy that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about Bitcoin. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know about it. You know, I try to understand it and it's like so difficult. How do you feel? Do you all understand Bitcoin? Anyways, if you have Bitcoin, you're probably happy because it's kind of going up right now. But uh, JT and I like gold and silver. Yes. And uh, yes, I've got it ready. And uh, if... Um, if you'd like gold and silver, Sun City Silver would be the place to go. Proto, uh, no, Sovereignize at ProtonMail.com. You can talk to Steve. Steve will help you. And um, he's got all the answers for, you know, difficult questions about where to invest. It just seems that we're on a bit of a trajectory for some accounting, um, some accounting adjustments because of our government's wild spending. Wild spending. Um, so... That's it. All right. I want to honor uh, senior producer Gary's, um, his son. And um, as we begin, I'll just, uh, his grandson. He had a new grandson. And this beautiful little child has come into the world. And he's been given the word Darius, the, the name Darius. And what an incredible name. I don't think I've ever known a Darius but it's a completely biblical name. And in honor of Gary's grandson, I'm gonna to read to you this incredible story from Daniel. It's found in Daniel 6, verse 16, and it says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. 
And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. Gave up all his video games and movies, I guess. No entertainment was brought to him that night. This was King Darius. Do you know why he was so sad? Because he knew that Daniel was a good man. And King Darius had been tricked into putting Daniel into the lion's den. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. You all know this story, right? Daniel in the lion's den. So when he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice. Do you know why he was anguished? Because he thought, Daniel's got to be dead. We put him into a den of lions, hungry lions. There's no chance he survived this. King Darius' heart was broken because he knew Daniel was a righteous man and he didn't like what had just happened. So Daniel, he says, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you served continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? In his anguished voice, he probably didn't really expect that he was going to hear that, that Daniel was okay. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. <clears throat> may God send his angel uh, actually, it says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty, King Darius. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. I wonder if you're able to trust God in your lion's den. Our dens don't always have real lions in them, but they have evil that has teeth in it. It has an attack or an assault from the enemy. And sometimes we find ourselves in a den as well. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den themselves along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. And so King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language in all of the earth. And so Daniel, it says at the end, prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's a good name. Take care. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support.
I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.